And welcome back to your favourite podcast, A Place to Thrive. Today we've got two wonderful guests from PDSA who um, are going to be talking to us again about their organisational culture and how they support their vets and their employees with wellbeing and mental health practices in the workplace. So it's a great episode we've got ahead. As ever, we'd uh, love to hear your comments and your feedback, so please do connect with us. My handle on Twitter and Instagram is fire underscore Joe, but I'm mainly on LinkedIn and you can find me as Joanna Hall on LinkedIn. And I am Joe Hooper on LinkedIn and Mad and Sad Club on Instagram. So over to Kate and Jamie. Bye bye. Thank you so much, Jamie and Kate, for joining us. We wanted to come and talk to you guys because, Jamie, I came across you and the work that you're doing, and I'm sure lots of your colleagues, at PDSA around mental health in the workplace and opening up the conversation here at PDSA via the lovely Rachel Miller's blog earlier this year. Did that come off the back of you winning a CIPR Inside Story Award, or which came first? That's a really good question. Um, What came first? In fact, I think think the blog came first. First um, and the CIPR award, um, just to emphasize the award piece. Yeah, big shiny award. That came second. Lovely. Um, but yeah, it was a real reflection of the work that we're trying to do to get people talking about um, yeah. mental health in the workplace. And as you probably know, Jamie and Kate, you may not, mental health in the workplace is my is my hobby horse. Is my, <laughs> I made up a whole job for myself around mental health in the workplace. Um, so for me, this was like a really um, important one for us to come and record and talk to you guys a little bit about what you're doing here, how what it's like to work for PDSA, what it's like to be a vet and the kind of um, impact that that sort of industry and job can have on your mental health. Um, but first of all, can we ask you guys to introduce yourselves? Jamie, perhaps you want to go first? Tell us a bit about what brought you here today? Uh-huh, right, okay, yeah, so I'm Jamie Angus, Internal Communications and Engagement Manager at PDSA. Um, this is one of those really strange days where it's my first day back at work, having been on paternity leave for six weeks. Um, so I'm a whole host of tired and sort of <laughs> uncoordinated. So who knows, what, who knows what's going to be said today? Um, oh, and we'll have it on recall. I know, I know. So I started working with... PDSA, it will take about 12 months or so ago. Okay. Um, so I joined them having been part of the Carillion fallout. Oh, yeah, right. That's the exact response I get. <laughs> I used oh, to say, I work for Carillion. Like, I've sort of heard of Carillion, but now I get Carillion. Oh. <laughs> I've heard of Carillion. Yeah, so this is sort of a bit of a sort of step change in terms of organisation. But yeah, so this is how I turned up here about 12 months ago. I, I feel slightly bad, or slash very bad, that we've got Jamie on the podcast the day that he returns from six weeks of return. He's still deluded. He's still, He's still delusional, fine. it's fine. We'll take advantage. And Kate, are you delusional? What brought you here um, today? Slightly. <laughs> so I'm Kate Kavanagh and I um, have been a vet at the PDSA for, well, coming up 10 years in December. Oh, wow. Um, most of that full-time, more recently part-time, so I'm based up in Staffordshire. I've been qualified for about 16 years. So private practices around the Staffordshire area, So, but the last 10 years, PDSA. And yeah, what brought me here today? Well, I've had some contact with Jamie and through the mental health campaign that, that he led earlier this year. We've been in touch over that. Um, I've got an interest in well-being generally because we do have a few issues in our profession mm. 
potentially some that are general to well every walk of life but I think some specific to veterinary as well so mm. I've, I've kind of developed an interest over the last couple of years or so into well-being um, and then yeah Jamie asked me along today to talk to you guys. <laughs> And we should also say that Kate's just come off a full weekend shift. Yeah, so yeah, I was at work last week and then on call from Friday night until about three or four hours ago. So Oh my days. Um, we're, we're like the, the worst podcasters ever. <laughs> so I feel really, really I wonder, Kate, if it would be right to start with what are the sort of well being and mental well being issues in the veterinary industry? And I'm really intrigued to understand that a little bit better. Well I think the profession has this a lot of similar pressures to many professions in the kind of the workload aspect the kind of work-life balance aspects as well as far as the mental health side we do have a higher rate than average of anxiety and depression and Mm. many other uh, mental health issues as well as having the highest suicide rate of any profession it's about four times that of the average Um, so it's it's quite high Mm. as we were talking earlier there's many factors as to why that might be and I'm not professing to be an expert in it but I, I guess I've been in the profession for a few years so I can hazard a few guesses and I think part of it is the unpredictability Mm. of the work you never Mm. really know what's coming through the door you have to think on your feet a lot you can end up missing planned breaks or staying over it can affect your work-life balance in Mm. that way it's hard to arrange things after work yeah as far as the specific to veterinary I don't think there's many or any other jobs that that deal with like the subject of euthanasia on Mm. a day-to-day basis yeah of course it's an interesting one isn't it I was thinking when you said that about the veterinary industry being the mental health being such a big issue in the veterinary industry the first thing that came to my head was of course it's a caring profession you have you know life in your hands but you're right even in you know doctors and nurses don't tend to unless they're working in palliative care but even then don't tend to deal with the the kind of concept and the practicalities of euthanasia whereas it is very much a reality for vets it's a yeah it's a reality and I think people are often shocked by both the frequency Mm. that you have to go through Mm. those sort of Mm. you know it's it's on a daily basis sometimes several times a day um and the, the pace of things can be challenging dealing mm. with your own emotions yeah. and that of the clients yeah, cool. and obviously dealing with the, the animal yeah. side it, mm. often it's a job that involves a lot more people work than you know when I went into it I obviously love animals mm. um, but I'd which say, must make the whole yeah you know having to help someone decide when is the right time to let their animal go must make that just a hundred times harder it's really hard, yeah. Mm. Um, and we've all got our own pets, so yeah. we've mm. been through that ourselves. Oh, so we God, can totally. It's really upsetting. <laughs> so every time you go through it with someone, yeah, you're kind of in their shoes, understanding mm. how they feel, and it's a bit of a roller coaster of a yeah. day. And then the next patient you have in could be a little cute, fluffy puppy and an excited owner. Yeah. So you kind of end up putting a bit of a game face on, mm. and and that can be well, it gets you through. But if you keep doing that and then take it into your personal life as well, then I think sometimes that's part of the issue that you never actually let that emotion out down yeah Um, do you know i've never appreciated this at all you know and i've been to a vet you know and they're just amazing that you know you're the consummate professionals and you know to do i never considered the sort of roller coaster Mm -hmm. effect of it and the 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 pace of it i think is the is the difficulty and yeah we've got a great constancy of it Mm. you know it's every single shift that you do Mm. I keep thinking to the parallel of working in nursing or or whatnot but you know if, if you're a nurse in a hospital you'll be on a specific ward so you have some idea of like you say what's going to present to you 
if you're a GP, you're not really going to have someone coming into the surgery who's at death's door necessarily. But when you're a vet, like you say, someone could come in, someone, someone's dog or cat or blizzard could come in needing their teeth cleaned or they could come in, you know, needing a big life or death decision or treatment. Yeah, and you don't know that before they walk in yeah. the door even. Sometimes you do, but yeah. most of the time you don't. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, although it's a joint decision, obviously we have to help the client decide what the best thing for their pet is. Yeah. Ultimately, it is the vet that's that's holding mm. that needle and that takes mm. a lot of toll, I think, yeah. over years. So yeah, there's the, the euthanasia side is, is a huge, huge factor. And, yeah. and like we were saying earlier, that kind of not saying that we're okay with euthanasia, but you have to accept in our job yeah. that it's part of it. It's ending suffering. Mm. Um, so we're, you know, the, the suicide rate that we were talking about earlier, I do wonder whether there's a correlation there. And yeah, yes. almost the acceptance piece of it, you know, mm. that, that you say it's the ending of suffering, whether that be, you know, animal or human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of research going into this. Um, a guy called Professor Neil Greenberg was speaking at the Wellbeing at Work conference a few months ago that I went to. Um, and they're looking at this particular area of sort of mental well-being in the veterinary profession. And they pulled out some sort of really interesting sort of pieces around that correlation. They're starting to look at it. A study in Australia is looking at it. It also picks up a lot of, when we think of our vets, actually, these are sort of quite often really bright, intelligent people with a high rate of perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And actually, when you're then presented with an animal who you perhaps can't save and you've got to help that owner make that decision that has a big sort of emotional impact and the the connection between animal and an owner is so so strong Mm. um that 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 bond that all of a sudden you're then dealing with the emotional fallout of Mm -hmm. someone who perhaps their Mm. dog is the reason they get up in the morning yeah Um, because actually that's the exercise they get is that is their best friend they take them for a walk all of a sudden they're they're presented with this opportunity and that that connection with loneliness um, yeah, and isolation of, of, of being a, a, a pet owner um, which within the PDSA I think we see more of potentially a, a high, oh, really? yeah, a high yeah. amount of our clients they might be we do see a lot of pensioners and older people and their dog is, is everything yeah, everything it, to them and when that's taken away it's hard yeah. so the it's nature hard. of the of PDSA itself is that we provide um, free or concessionary veterinary treatment for people on low incomes who otherwise perhaps can't Mm -hmm, afford mm -hmm. the sort of high private vet bills so a lot of the time we're we're dealing with our clients who perhaps don't have much but what they do have is that companionship and that bond Mm -hmm. and when you know we're in a position where that has to end I think sometimes we forget about the emotional impact on on our people having to deal with yeah. that situation as well but it's so emotionally charged oh, yeah it? But i was also pick up on that the perfectionist point mm. I, I would say the veterinary profession isn't isn't perfect and the care of every patient and that every you can't make every situation no. perfect and i mean we are gp vets really so i think the expectation level of, of clients has changed over the years mm. i think there's quite a high expectation of what care you can give mm. and and as a gp sometimes within yourself you, you want to give the best care you can, but that can be a challenge as well. Yeah, of course. I think the perfectionist point is really interesting because I have outed myself as a perfectionist very openly. And for me, that definitely has a big impact on my mental health. So I've talked about my kind of like muscle memory in my brain. The thought that comes up without me even having to consciously think it is you're a failure. And that's kind of triggered by and resulted in this toxic as one therapist called it, level of perfectionism. But it really it really puts it into perspective for me when I think about, you know, I'm freaking out about, I don't know, not delivering a workshop as well as I could have done or getting some feedback that that I want to act on compared to someone in your situation who's being faced with whether they can save 
an animal or not. It's very humbling <laughs> thinking about how that plays out in different well, professions. It's, all, it's a perspective, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that's different. I'm interested to know, you know, on the back of all this, how you actually then cope with it and what kind of support PDSA offers, knowing that, um, you know, your staff, your employees are going through this turmoil and it's a, it's a constant, you know, this isn't going to stop. This is part of your profession and what you have to learn to deal with. What kind of things do you put in place, Kate, and what does PDSA support you with? So me personally, mm. um, I think just making sure you get breaks because and that can be very hard yeah you alluded um, to that earlier because of our unpredictability of workload an example yesterday we kind of went through the whole day and it got to about two o'clock and we hadn't really stopped particularly and that was when our planned stop was and then something came through the Mm. door you know bleeding yeah (laughs) actually bleeding and urgent just gonna have my sandwich if you could just turn on for a minute yeah (laughs) Yeah. it doesn't quite work exactly so yeah it's it's hard because we obviously we all love animals and we it's hard sometimes to put yourself first and take a break but you've got to mentally realize that actually if you do that you're going to be a better vet and in a, you know in 10-15 mm. minutes time you'll be a better vet so yeah. you'll stop and take breaks so yeah. personally I know that sounds quite basic no I think but no but it's an, it's an <laughs> interesting one actually just because and I'm not, not trying to draw a correlation or a parallel with my life and yours because yours sounds really emotional and very stressful as well but it's something that I've had to learn to deal with being on my own is that you know I'm I'm very willing to give my time and my energy and my focus to my clients but I've forgotten recently mm. how important I am and my well-being is and that's had a you know very negative impact on me recently and it's it's recognizing the value of that and recognizing mm. that you will be a better person and a better vet or a better consultant or whatever your profession if you do take that care and that time and place a significant amount of value on yourself and your own well-being. So it's taking responsibility for that and giving yourself permission, I think, to do that, that it is okay. Yeah, I haven't always been good at that. No, um, you but, both. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but, no, but yeah. going back to the PDSA, I suppose they do, especially locally and within the hospitals, mm. our SVS, so senior vet, is, is um, always telling people to go and have a break. To Good. You know, so it is supported within the hospital although not easy to do something as simple as that and I suppose as far as the so there's yeah there's things you do yourself there's things we do in the hospital and then I suppose there's kind of organizational things and they hopefully all melt together and what so what Jamie's been talking about and he came to Stoke a few weeks ago um, and talked talked to to me and the SVS there about some of the things that the PDSA are doing or thinking of doing and it's it's just nice to hear all of that mm. support coming from mm-hmm. head office as mm-hmm. well um more personally yes there's, there's lots of things that that the pdsa do but um a couple of years ago i was able to take a career break when things did get too much for me mm. um i had 12 months out of work and, and got my old job back mm. and there's lots, there's, there's, in fact, I don't really know any in my profession, any organisations mm. that do do that. So things like that, I think, are really helpful, help me get back on my feet and come back and it back like stronger. Give you, yeah. <laughs> give you the time to come back as well. So yeah, there's a lot of, pressure, there's a lot of support you know, for that. Uh, that's, mm. that's wonderful that they're, they're recognising that actually mental health issues aren't fixed, you know, with a couple of tablets and a, you know, a spa <laughs> if day. Only. If only, yeah, indeed. <laughs> you know, but it does take time. No. Yeah. Uh, I think locally we um, are very open within our team. Again, our SVS is very open about mental health, his own mental health. Yeah. And I think we people just follow suit then. Yeah. 
Um, and as we've already kind of said, it's a bit of an emotional roller coaster within a hospital. So we're very used to having awkward conversations mm-hmm. already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it, having our own awkward conversations is a bit easier. Than... <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big proponent of kind of when it comes to changing culture around mental health at work or trying to make the culture a bit more open around mental health at work is like starting where you are. So my experience was that my I got to kind of crisis point with my mental health and had to take three months off. And then when I came back, started being open about my mental health with my team. And that then encouraged them to do the same. And our, the culture within our team totally changed. And then that starts to have ripple effects outwards. I mean, it's harder often when you're in so many different locations. And I know PDSA has locks around the country. But yeah, I think starting with the team that you're in and starting those awkward conversations and allowing them to happen and encouraging them can have a really big ripple effect on the organisation. Yeah, I mean, that's a really, really good point. So we've got 48 pet hospitals across the Mm. UK, 123 shops, plus our head office, we've got a contact centre in Sunderland as well. All of the managers and leaders on those sites have got a role to play. So when Mm. we talk about culture, yes, absolutely, we want to set that from the top of the organisation and the mental, place, uh, mental health at work agenda really sort of started with our, di- our director general, chief exec, putting a blog out during uh, Time to Talk Day last February yeah. um, and actually talking openly for the first time about her mental health. So um, she'd had um, some, some issues with her own mental health when her father died, which mm. she'd never really sort of spoken about in the workplace before. And the reaction that we had from that was absolutely huge. Mm. I think for the first time it started to empower people at a local level to say or to at least start that journey of it's an organization where it's okay not to be okay yeah it's back to that permission thing isn't it you know you've got somebody there that's role modeling the vulnerabilities of life you know the stresses and strains of life and the impact that it's having on them so you've got that human connection and I think when it comes from a leader it's really really powerful because then it allows everybody else to go oh okay so if they're struggling if they face this it's okay for me to talk about it as well Absolutely. And we had, um, you know, sort of assistant shop managers, stock collectors, vets, people from IT and our fundraising teams, all sort of jumping onto this blog to say, Jan, I'm, you know, I'm amazed, it's amazing that you've talked about that. And mm. thanks for sharing that. And, you know, I've been through similar or, you know, my brother's been through similar or family. Yeah. So it's amazing how many people mm. have been touched by that subject. And all it takes actually is a senior role model to put themselves out there yeah. to actually really empower everybody else to say, actually, it's okay to feel like this. Yeah. It's yeah. a safe environment to do yeah. it. Did you actually speak to Jan about how she then felt on the back of those comments? I'd be interested to know what it's like from her perspective. I don't think she necessarily knew what sort of response she was going to get, or even if she thought too much about it. Mm. But I think she was genuinely quite overwhelmed. And also, I think it was for the first time really shone a light on this is something our people want to talk about, yeah. mm-hmm. um, which is where our journey, without sending to X Factor, like, starts. <laughs> Cue the music. Cue the music. I'm like Cardle in the background. Um, but that's sort of where that has started, because what that has done has sort of unlocked, if you like, lots of people wanting to share their stories, because what we found that has done is actually empowered people mm. to talk to each other within the organisation. Funny that. What, what <laughs> really are the odds? simple. What are the it's, odds? But it, yeah. it's really helped sort of un- unlock that and it's brought people from across the organisation together mm. to start talking about mental health. And I think with any organisation, that's your starting yeah. point and you can build from from, yeah. from, from, from there yeah. with the other things that you offer. But 
it felt like it's a really good starting point mm. for us. I'm interested in kind of how the movement came about and whether it was kind of organic or helped along centrally. Like, did so? Did Jan's blog? Did anyone in the comms team ask her to write it? Did she volunteer to write it? No, no. So, <laughs> so we worked um, as an internal comms function with Jan around that. So when I came into the organisation, there was an element of we know that we need to do better at well-being mm-hmm. because are four times more likely to commit suicide, mm. have mental health issues and so on and so forth. So that was an area that we wanted to look at anyway. And from previous organisations that I've worked in, actually the time to talk process is actually a really yeah. good way to get that conversation started. Um, and we've mentioned Carillion and for the many, many faults uh, that they have and the Parliamentary Select Committee's pulled out a few. <laughs> one thing they were actually starting to get really good at was actually looking around mental health in the construction industry, um, which is yeah. an industry mm-hmm. that has, oh, yeah. has another one. a huge yeah. number of problems. And I think the um, CEO of Mind has brought that up on previous yeah, yeah, podcasts. Yeah. Um, so I've done my homework there. <laughs> <laughs> like, Thank okay, you, Jamie. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it felt like that was something we could really do here. So um, I had a conversation with Jan and said, look, this is something as an organisation, it'd be great for us to, to, to really get involved with. And Jan was like, well, actually, I write a blog every two weeks and this is a story I've not particularly told. Oh, wow. Do you think Gosh. it would help to put that out there? And yeah. you're going, yes, please. And going, Absolutely. Yeah. So what we then found was everybody who was then commenting on the bottom of her on, on Workplace, which is the other platform that we, we use quite a lot at PDSA, mm. people were just offering up their own experiences, mm. um, which was incredible. So when Mental Health Awareness Week came around in May. May, I just went back through all the workplace comments and said, well, that person clearly is comfortable to talk about mm. their experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll drop them a quick email or drop them a quick one say, actually... Do you want to expand out on that? We want to do a series of blogs throughout the whole week to talk about that. And we had too many people to take part when we had blogs for. Which was just incredible. Yeah. That's running the floodgates. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it can definitely be like that. Like I remember when I first started talking to my friends about my mental health stuff which I weirdly found harder than talking to people at work a friend of mine we've been friends for over 20 years and when I started talking about my anxiety depression etc she got in contact with me and was like yeah me too and we'd known each other for 20 years and never spoken to each other about it and both of us had been ill for a really long time like we'd grown up together and we'd never spoken about it and once you do kind of certainly what I found once you do start talking about how you feel people do start to say yes I know me too and then you start building a bit of a community so what's the knock-on effect so you've you know you've raised awareness through having conversations you've given people permission and given them the okay to talk about personal lives and their troubles etc and how they're feeling in the workplace which I think is a huge shift where do the conversations go what's the next thing to build on the support for you know well-being at work that's a really good question well-being at workplace isn't necessarily new for pdsa so we've had stuff before so we've got an employee assistance program mm-hmm. um which i think axa run for us we saw that in the posters on the back, back yes. the toilet doors yeah, yeah absolutely Always a captive audience when you're having a wee that's a good place to put the information you, you can talk about your digital <laughs> communication as much as you like poster on the back toilet of the toilet door, door. Still one of the most Very effective important. channels you'll get. So we and we've had that for a number of years and, and AXA provide us with sort of stats every so often in terms of, of where we're at. And we have, I think, double the usage rate on employee assistance programme than their standard organisations. And I look at that and I, I always wonder whether that's a good thing or a yeah. bad thing. Yeah, like, yeah so stats it, are a funny thing. It always reminds me of I used to work at a local authority and there was um, uh, a new story around the increase in reporting of domestic violence, mm. which was seen as a good news story. And at the time mm. I was thinking, good Is news it really story? good news? Is it a good story? 
but actually what it is it's an increase of reporting of yeah. it so actually yeah. the issue is there yeah. but more people are using exactly. it so I like yeah. to think the issue's there anyway isn't actually it? the issues yeah. are there and people are accessing I, support that we've yeah. got which I is really agree. I would agree I hear a lot this is what I hear is people saying is this whole mental health thing a snowflake issue and people are just being really kind of flaky and over an emotional and you know saying they have mental health issues and I agree that it's the problem has always been there. It's just people feel more confident to talk about it and report it now. So the stats that we're seeing are more close to factual reality than mm-hmm. any other. It's time. interesting with that. So the, from the veterinary side, there's a there's a organisation called Vet Life. Um, specifically, it's kind of a little bit like the Samaritans, I'd say, but for veterinary. Oh really? And and they've had an increase. I think it's like eight eightfold increase in the number of calls and contacts wow. within the last four years. There's, there is a correlation. There, yeah, definitely. There is definitely, yeah. and yeah, hopefully some of those people that have opened up on vet life, maybe those that have, have it might have saved their life yeah. because mm-hmm. statistically, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. there are too many deaths by suicide in yeah. veterinary, and that needs to be looked at as a whole profession. I'm not well, talking the thing, just the PSA have, here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, having the conversations and being open at work to then go and realise what support is on offer, be it an employee assistance programme, be it having a you know a, a good deep conversation with your manager and having some time off, whatever it may be. If that helps save somebody's life, if that mm. helps get somebody the right kind of treatment to get them back to feeling okay again, isn't that the whole point of it? Yeah. yeah. And I think particularly around internal communications, we talk loads about measurement. Mm. Yeah. Um, and we can talk through our click-through rates and all that sort of stuff. But for me, around the mental health work that we've done, what what has success looked like? Mm. It's looked like a colleague who posted out on Workplace a couple of weeks ago around some of the issues she's had with the menopause. Mm. Mm -hmm. And actually, she'd posted a blog herself, so we didn't know what was happening through Mm -hmm. Workplace, detailing the experiences that she's had. And it started off with, when I came back to work in in May and saw the organisation was talking about mental health, it got me thinking about this. Mm. And what that has done is she's now started up a sort of a, a menopause mm-hmm. support group. Oh, amazing! Um, with the organisation completely sort of off, yeah, off yeah. her own back. So this sort of organic yeah. growth of yeah. things that start to happen, support that starts to be out there, yeah. is fantastic. Because as an organisation, we've got seventy five percent female. Um, oh, right. uh, take up in our in our organisation. The same that, well, in veterinary as well. Yeah, yeah. mainly female. There's, oh, that's interesting. There's one male vet at Stoke. Yeah. <laughs> Flying the four out of So, so, so what you'll find is is that in itself is then generating yeah. offshoot discussions, yeah, yeah. which yes. weren't necessarily the intended consequence yes. of that, but yeah. which. That's fantastic because, again, it's people starting to own those conversations. I think it's really interesting that you talk about kind of measurement and what success looks like to you. Because, again, I think when I was reading through the PDSA's kind of winner's bio on their CIPR Inside Award, just to mention the award again, I think the increase in use of the EAP scheme and increase in take-up of the support that you have available is brilliant and clearly shows that that support is needed. But also, like you say, when you think about what success looks like when it comes to how people feel about mental health in an organisation if they feel that they can be more open it's not that easy to measure with typical methods and I think the fact that you had so much such a huge response to Jan's blog to me is a measure of success in itself in that the conversation is absolutely burgeoning it's interesting I have a very um, love-hate relationship with like awareness days and weeks and months because I think they're great as a hook to get people talking and 
it allows you to kind of bring the agenda up with the leadership team and, and gives you a reason to start talking about it. But I think it can be quite easy to fall into the trap of just talking about this stuff on awareness days and weeks. And I wondered, like, what you guys are thinking about above and beyond raising awareness of the support that's available. So we're now looking at creating our sort of first well-being strategy. And again, previously we've, we've done stuff, little bits here and there, yeah. but without having everybody having that holistic approach. I think one thing we're really conscious of is trying to create something that is A, going to make a difference, and B, isn't just stuff yeah. thrown mm-hmm. at it. So, you know, the the first reaction could well be, well, let's get mental health first aid training thrown in. Um, and we may well do that, but what we don't necessarily want to do is just go and do that and then go and do something else. It's mm-hmm. trying to figure mm-hmm. out actually on that long-term approach not just around mental well-being, but around physical well-being, and an area that I'm quite passionate about as well is around that financial well-being yeah. aspect. Yeah. Um, because you know, again, we we operate in the retail sector mm, where yeah. um, wages tend to be you know fa- fairly sort of low in comparison to the mm. sort of national average. Quite often, sort of living wage issues, and actually the knock-on impact of mental health against those yeah, who are struggling absolutely. financially yeah. is also absolutely huge. So, yeah. what can we do as an organisation to improve? physical, mental, and that sort of financial well-being yeah. piece. And that's the piece of work that we're mm. sort of getting to grips with at the moment. But it's, it's looking at things like, can we offer interest-free um, loans for travel? Yeah. So again, if we've got shop managers who have to get a bus or two buses to work, as I know one of our shop managers does in Birmingham, well, they have to buy a bus pass up front. Um, yeah. And they can only afford to do it on a monthly basis rather than annual yeah. basis. Yeah. So actually, could we save them 60 or 70 quid by allowing them to buy the annual pass and then they pay that back through there. So lots of different things like that that we want to do as a sort of holistic approach to things. So it's not just doing stuff. It's actually we've got an idea. It's a joined up strategy. It's a joined up strategy. It's about understanding what our well-being culture as a whole, what we want that to be and actually what's the most effective way for PDSA to get there. What kind of involvement, I'm interested to know, have you had from your employees to kind of help craft that well-being strategy? Well, again, I think it's... It was all born on the back of the blog that came out from, from Jan June Time mm-hmm. to Talk. Um, this is where people like Kate, for example, started talking to us about um, their experiences of, of, of mental health or their interest in well-being. Um, so what we are doing over the next sort of month or two is pulling together a whole host of people who have said, I want to be involved, I want to be involved, <laughs> um, is to create a sort of a bit of a, um, a, sort of a working group. Um, Jan, as our Director General, is already going to be the sponsor of that, but it's going to be that working group who are going to come together, so we hope, and start looking at all of those areas and saying, okay, at PDSA, where do we think mm. we should really be looking mm. to sort of to mm. focus around mm. that sort of physical, mental and, and financial well-being yeah. piece? And the PDSA have always had this kind of quite good communication chain, which is called Forum now. It's changed its names over the years, but so there's representatives from all the hospitals, um, retail, we all get together and talk about the, the issues of the day or, you know, ideas of what we can do. So there's already that structure there as well to help dissipate all this yeah. information and all the idea sharing. So yeah. I, I've always thought that was a very good thing that the PDSA had that I've never experienced mm. with veterinary. I know it mm. probably exists in other places, but within my profession, it's yeah. unusual. And I think this is probably one of the first times that we've we've done something and the unintended consequence of mm. it is it's our people saying, can you do more of this, yeah, please? Yes. So we knew well-being 
was an agenda that we needed to look at. But I think the overwhelming response we've had from the sort of the blog and vlog campaigns that we've done is, okay, this is something we really need to look at. Yeah. Uh, because actually our people are saying, we're really, really interested yeah. in this. Yeah. And, and yeah. that your people want to do it with you. That's yeah, absolutely. amazing. Absolutely. But the energy in the community that that's going to create, because it's kind of come from the people, you know, that, that interest and that willingness to get involved. And sadly, the fact that they clearly need it. Mm. But that's just the reality of life, that we all need all this kind of support. That will create such an energy for you as an organisation. I, It'll be very interesting to come back in a year and see, you know, what your absentee levels are, what your turnover levels are, what your levels of, you know, uh, net promoter score, you know, what, what, are the, what are the other sort of mm. key performance indicators that you're probably tracking as a business? What do they look like on the back of this? Because I think that would be additional fuel to go to other organisations and go, freaking sort this. Yeah. Because in terms of the well-being of your staff, which is a wonderful thing and an absolute thing that I believe every organisation should be focusing on. But, you know, we are in this for, to run businesses, yeah. you know. The, the and I think the, the absenteeism is a really interesting point because I, and again, I don't know what some of the unintended consequences will be, but actually I wonder whether there might actually be an increase Maybe, in absenteeism maybe. In, in fact I wonder if presenteeism yeah. is a yeah. bigger issue than yes. absenteeism yeah. probably a whole different yeah. debate yeah. but I wonder how many people yeah. how many people are at work because actually yeah. they're really struggling but they don't want to say exactly. yeah. I'm really struggling actually I need to not I need, be here I need yeah. to not be yeah. here so Again, these are the, the unknowns, but yeah, it'd be fascinating to see how it that works out. So for me, there's always, there's this argument that we need to push back against that well-being is a fluffy, nice thing, something that, you know, is morally right and ethically right for organisations to do. But it's not just the morality, it's the commercial as well. If your people are unwell and they're coming into work operating on animals uh, when they're not operating at their full capacity themselves, they are not going to be great vets. Mm -hmm. If your people are not very well and they're coming in to answer the phones, they're not going to give great customer service their productivity and their capacity and their passion and their loyalty is going to be massively reduced because of their mental health so for me there's no there is the commercial argument and the moral argument are absolutely interlinked because if you make sure that your people are well then they will do great work for you and they will want to work for you and this applies for any industry so yeah it'll be really interesting we also to have see. we have quite an issue with with recruitment within oh. within veterinary there is a shortage of vets not just at the pdsa everywhere Generally. else so i think financially it makes a huge amount of sense mm. to keep the vets mm. not Absolutely. just vets nurses mm. as well, well yeah. yeah this 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 is it i mean in terms of sort of veterinary recruitment i think we we we're now placed on sort of a, a government uh, list of on the back uh, of this podcast by the way you'll have an influx of you know yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah we want to know about those absolutely. stats <laughs> um, there you go you remember that first day absolutely. back totally back in the game absolutely but there, there is a national shortage of, of, of uh, veterinary surgeons and, and, and vet nurses and so on so actually in a, in a sort of competitive market yeah if one of the USPs that we can offer is actually actually look after your people we look after our yeah, people totally, we invest yeah. in our people yeah. you get a better work life balance because in private practice you know that's certainly one of the things you hear quite a lot is you know they work exceptionally long hours mm -hmm. um then again this can help build that that sort of narrative mm, yeah. and that that mm. proposition that actually yeah. we care for our people yeah that's why you should come and join us when yeah. you could choose to mm. join anywhere yeah i totally agree i think as well like you know we're going to see over the next sort of five to ten years that the perception of the organisation caring about their staff is going to become more and more and more important to recruitment because I don't think younger people are wanting to work for organisations that 
don't give a toss about them. Well, they vote with their feet. Exactly. Basically. And you know, your staff turnover will be higher, yeah. and as you say, it will be yeah. even harder. I wondered if we could talk about one of the things that I get asked a lot when I do kind of workshops and stuff with internal comms people to help them talk about mental health in the workplace is, oh, well, it doesn't really sit with us. Um, or it isn't an internal comms thing. I find that rather infuriating. It doesn't sit with anyone and someone's got to pick up the ball and run with it. It seems like it's been a very much internal comms-led issue here at PDSA, but I wondered how you're kind of working with like other stakeholders in the organisation, so I'm guessing like HR and the DG in her office, um, to kind of create this working group that you were talking about. Yeah, so it, it's been a bit of a sort of three-pronged sort of approach, if you like. So I've very much come at it from an employee engagement yeah. perspective mm-hmm. because actually really, really is the right thing that yeah. we should be doing from an yeah. engagement perspective. Uh, the HR team have been working really closely with us as well. And again, they're really interested in it from, you know, you start looking at the sort of the retention, recruitment, mm-hmm. um, sort of absenteeism sort of perspective. Um, and also working with our health and safety lead. Of course, uh, because there's yes. always that... When, particularly in the veterinary world, when you're working in a well, quite a dangerous environment, mm. if you're talking about you're working with drugs, mm. sharp implements, mm. dogs and cats, teeth, uh, teeth absolutely. Yeah. Whereas, sharp implements. <laughs> actually, if you know if your if your workforce aren't aren't, aren't engaged, aren't in a yeah. good place mentally, they're not going to be a good place to use those sorts of tools and equipment, and your accident rates are mm. likely to be so yeah. much higher. So. In terms of the reasons for doing it, you can tick on practically every business yeah. objective. Oh, so why yeah. you should do it? It's absolutely tons of them. Yeah. Um, but I think it was from my personal perspective. I've I've got a sort of real passion and and, and interest in in this. So I was a mental health first aider in a previous place of work. Sort of family members who struggled with mental health. You know, I've had sort of periods of anxiety and so on in the past as well. So it's something that I don't know. I feel I can sort of get my teeth mm. into without using the cat or dog analogy. With <laughs> Um, to actually sort of sort of pick up and run, but yeah, yeah. H- HR, health and safety, internal comms. But you can you can stretch that out across yeah. the entire organisation as to why it absolutely makes sense yeah. for the organisation mm. to focus on it. And do you think it's that clear sense of why that's made it? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm assuming it's been easy to work together in a kind of collective way to to kind of get this campaign and now the ongoing work off the ground. Do you think it's that collective understanding of why it's so important that we do it that's help to make it easy i think fundamentally sitting on top of that is it's just this is the The right right thing thing to do do. um fundamentally take out all of the business sort of reasons for doing it fundamentally it should be about how aligned is it to the values of your organization well actually as a charity it is absolutely aligned with with us we care for our pets we care for our clients absolutely we should care for our people so i i think that makes that whole process a lot easier layering you know underneath that the fact that actually it's safer for our people mm. to be in a good place mm-hmm. because of the work that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, our shops are probably more likely to sell more merchandise, etc. If our volunteers and our teams in there in, in the shops are in, are in a better place, it all just sort of adds mm. together. So I think it's as far as business cases go, it's one of the easier sells, or should be one of the easier yeah. sells because everyone wins. If there's any soundbite that we could give to our listeners <laughs> to help them kind of lobby for focus on mental health in the workplace. I think that's that's it. perfect. Thank you, Jamie. When we had Paul Farmer, the CEO of Mind, on the podcast, we were talking about how often organisations are frightened to look at mental health in the workplace because once you've scratched the surface and done the awareness work, you get down to, does our organisation run in a way that supports people's mental health or do we need to change the way in which we work? And I wondered if you'd kind of started to have that discussion here at PDSA and 
whether that's something that you're kind of thinking about as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, possibly one of the unintended consequences of, mm. of, of sort of starting this project um, is that people are starting to have those those conversations. So I think there's one thing around raising awareness, which yeah. is great. There's one thing about trying to sort of create that culture where it's okay not to be okay. But the next stage is, well, so what? Um, because actually, if everyone can say, I don't feel great today, but then there's, there's nothing, nothing else, else there. there. Yeah. Then all you've got are people saying, actually, I don't feel great today. Oh, right, okay. Okay, bye-bye. Bye, see <laughs> yeah. you. Uh, and we, we absolutely, we don't, absolutely don't yeah. want, want us to sort of be in that place. Now, interesting, we've just had our employee engagement uh, survey results through. Of that we were looking at the so. survey results in the toilet as well. Yes. So much branding in the toilet. All going on all what are your internal comms team? The, your internal comms, you're all over it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what that is starting to tell us, although we're still sort of looking at the results, is that connection between organisational clarity and well-being. Yeah. And what we know, and we didn't need the staff survey results to tell us this because we knew it anyway, mm. is there's lots of noise. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think as an organisation, it goes back to the perfectionist piece as an organization with with lots of perfectionist people and an ethos of always wanting to do the right thing to make the charity mm. better and to li- deliver better services etc what that often results in is us doing lots of new stuff lots yeah. of projects and lots mm-hmm, of initiatives mm-hmm. and we tallied up fairly recently and we were doing about 400 or so oh, live projects or initiatives oh. varying in size it actually makes me feel a bit stressed just talking oh, about and it's when we got in the room and you got everyone from across the organization to start listing down the things yeah. that they were doing and then from a support services function uh, perspective, you're looking at and thinking, well, they're doing A, B, C, and D. That's got a knock-on effect, actually, for mm-hmm. us. That yeah, plant. of course. Mm-hmm. We, so the organisation is starting to look at that and actually an acceptance of we're doing too much, we've got to prioritise mm-hmm. what we do yeah. and probably actually have sort of really difficult, for us, difficult sort of conversations yeah. because we might have to say no to things. And that, that as mm-hmm. a charity, is probably something that we're not really used to doing. But yeah. actually, if we're going to reduce some of that noise and, and, and reduce some of that clutter that is clearly having an impact on people's well-being and workloads, mm-hmm. we've got to look at the stuff that we do. I think. Well, it's almost like well-being for the organisation, isn't it? Yeah. Because if the, the organisation's overwhelmed, it's not going to function as effectively as a business. So it's like taking it you know, to a different scale. I was actually just thinking about the parallels with what you've just said about <laughs> the way the organisation needs to start saying no with like my own sort of recovery from I don't I don't really like the word recovery but anyway my own management of my own mental health one of the things I had to start doing was saying no to things and saying actually I don't feel well enough to come to that event that night so sorry friend I'm not gonna be able to come or I know that I can't do five meetings in a day so I'm not gonna be able to go to those ones and that for me had a huge positive impact on my mental health and actually there's real parallels within within an organization like you say of needing to stop doing some things and perhaps like realigning some other things and again by doing that at an organizational level you give your people permission to say no or to learn how mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. I don't I don't mean that to sound condescending but to learn how to prioritize in a way that fits with the organization's values but and surely it must be easy for employees and maybe Kate you can tell us whether it's easier for employees to be able to prioritize if the organization is much clearer on what its core simple reduced number of goals are do you do you feel that yet um, it's too early to say yeah from a well-being point of view yeah um, I suppose it's a it's a bit early to say. Like I say, our role in the hospitals is prioritising mm. is is kind of what we're used to doing. So I suppose we already do that from a day to day basis yeah. anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know how to answer. Yeah, that. I mean, I think I think using a hypothetical example to it for a for a hospital perspective might be actually we we like to go out and do lots of work in our local communities because a that 
builds that network and that relationship on a local level, um, but also helps us to um, sort of educate the, the next generation of pet owners. Mm. However, what that entails us to do is take resource out of our hospitals to go to the school and have those conversations. Yeah. What we then probably have been guilty of in the past is then saying, as a result, it's uncomfortable, but we'll if that's what we want to do, we'll have to see less pets. Yeah, that might be an example. So of, of you're, how yeah, you're to do right. That. I think exactly what you were saying about saying no. We mm. all get very passionate about all of these new initiatives, and we <laughs> all are behind them fully. Yeah. But we only have one set of hands, mm. and yeah, it's very hard, as Jamie said, to say no to going to do a school talk. Yeah, about educating people on welfare needs of pets when it's really something you're passionate about. Mm. But if you don't say no to that, then potentially less animals get treated and yeah. vice versa. So well, you work longer exactly days right. and have less time yeah. to look so, after yourself. So it's, yeah. And I think, you know, it's not unique to, to PDSA at all. I think yeah. most of the organisations I've, I've ever worked in suffer from this um, sort of new project, new initiative, yeah. launch oh, it. You don't necessarily embed it the way you want to because you're moving on to the next thing. Yeah. And yeah. I think what we're hearing from our, our people is that if we can slow down, it will help us go faster. Yeah. Yes. But it's always yeah. that process of it's really difficult to put the brakes on what is, you know, a, a, a bit of a juggernaut yeah. um, to, to, to help us really focus. And, and I suppose that. it's that kind of fear of missing out, isn't it? You know, you've got all these shiny new toys, shiny new initiatives and the ideas that and, and the benefits that they could realise if you do all of them. It sounds wonderful. So why would you why would you say no? Well, this, this is it again. As a, as a organisation that sort of we're here because of the the fundraising that mm. we do, mm. you'll quite often see there'll be I know pots of money that you have to apply for, uh, and so of course, yeah, we need that to function to deliver the services mm-hmm. that we do. But maybe sometimes we need to say, oh, okay, we know that would be really important, and we'd love to do it, but but do we have the resources? Mm-hmm. Do we have the resources? Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think those conversations start to happen. Our senior leadership team, I think, have been really honest and open at our leadership conference this year in terms of. They know we're there, mm. and then uh, you know they're giving a lot of work over the coming months to understand. Okay, yeah. how can we prioritise and, and and have those conversations of how can we get that clarity of purpose for this is where we're heading. These are the things we're going to do, and for the moment, these are the things we won't. Yeah, sounds like you're at such a kind of interesting time where you've kind of opened Pandora's box of mental health at work and everyone's starting to talk about it it's now becoming it sounded like it it you know was an important thing for leadership to begin with but it's now becoming an a part of a discussion at the leadership table which is how do we run our organization in the most effective way um across loads of different measures and you're kind of those the development of your well-being strategy and the development of your, the thinking of your leadership team are happening at the same time which i think is really like that's the perfect combination to, to really do something big and exciting it's a really exciting p- sort of position to, yeah. to, to be in mm. i think you're right in, in 12 18 24 months mm. time i think this will there'll be some really sort of exciting outcomes to, to, yeah. to come from that we'll come back in two yeah. years time please do <laughs> when we're on season like 20 or something yeah. <laughs> amazing well we always like to kind of end the podcast by giving our listeners some sort of practical advice um and the podcast is all about creating workplaces that are healthier and happier and obviously we've talked a lot about mental health today um but i wondered if we could ask both of you for some really sort of it might be really simple but practical things that our listeners can do um to create workplaces that are healthier and happier I suppose I've only ever worked in veterinary, so it's going to have that slant, obviously. Um, I suppose I feel like 
the thing that I've learned the most, with, which we've already talked about, is the obvious of taking a break. Mm. Even it's when obvious, it, but so hard yeah, to do. Even when it seems like there is just no, no chance of a break, just take it anyway. I've started trying to leave the building and go for a walk. I think being outside mm. is scientifically mm. proven now to be good for your well-being. And it really does work. Yeah. Um, so no matter how busy you feel or you actually are, I think, to be a better vet or to be a better anything, to be a happier person is to take a break um, even if you feel like you're swamped so that would be my first one and I suppose the second one would be to not be afraid of kind of talking to people that you think might be struggling and um, we work in a really close-knit team and we know each other very well so it's it is quite obvious if someone's not quite right um, and to not walk past that and to have like we've said, those awkward conversations and not be afraid of it. You're just just having open... I think you don't have to necessarily fix anything because that's part of the problem in my profession is we're fixers. Mm-hmm. So I think you can go into it trying to fix people's problems, but it's not about that. It's just being there to listen mm. and um, open questions mm. and go from there. So I just did a little mad dance across the table from Kate <laughs> because... The fear around mental health is something that I talk about a lot and that, you know, the fear of talking about your own mental health keeps you away from the support that you need for longer and the fear of talking to someone about, that you're worried about, about their mental health um, stops, well, it perpetuates the stigma around mental health and stops that person perhaps hearing from you and hearing that maybe they're not as well as they think they are. I could not be more in tune with that uh, piece of advice thank you yeah and I think um just not being afraid to to open up even if it's not to a colleague we have plenty of resources actually within veterinary we've got things like the employee employee assistance um program and vet life and all sorts so yeah I think opening up to whoever um and then I suppose what a third one um, have to have a third one. Well, I think personally I've learned to I've learned about goals a lot in the last mm. couple of years and how to set them and I think just trying to break things down into smaller steps because I mm. think I used to get mm. very overwhelmed by looking at uh, something big and yeah. it scared me so much that I didn't do anything whereas yeah. now I yeah. think I'm a lot better at just looking at small bits. Yeah. So say for instance on a day at work instead of I've got a big operating board full of operations I try not to look at it as a big, scary board full of operations. I just break it down, number them, and now I just focus on what I'm doing and mm-hmm. it, it reduces my stress levels. That's really good advice, actually, <laughs> and that's something I know we're nodding, not we, Joe. That's something we've really I feel like tried Kate and to I embrace. Kindred spirits. <laughs> the, um, yeah. yeah, the goal thing I think is really is a massive deal. And I think for me, at its heart, what you've just described is being mindful about the way that you live and you work rather than becoming paralyzed by the anxiety of the 50 different things you need to do that day just looking at the one at hand that at heart is working living being mindful is focusing on what's Mm. happening at the moment and I think mindfulness can get a kind of or meditation can get a bit of a bad rap in that it's bandied around as a sticking plaster but actually for me it's about the way that you kind of live I guess being in the present yeah. and yeah. dealing with one thing at a time yeah. rather yeah. than having a you know having a small look on the future but actually trying to maintain the present is yeah. mindfulness isn't yeah. it yeah brilliant thank you Jamie how do I follow you? that wow. <laughs> yeah. um, I think firstly from an internal communication 
an employee engagement perspective. For me, I think the best piece of advice I've got is, yes, you're the gatekeepers of the channels, um, but you don't have to write everything. Mm. Um, I think the most powerful thing that I found doing the uh, mental health campaign in PDSA was opening up those channels to your colleagues to get their voices out there. Mm. Yes, you can help with the editing and some of the grammar and so on, but the authenticity that mm. comes through, and people know People know when it's been ghostwritten. Of course People they know do. when it's authentic. Um, so for me, that that is the most important thing. So I, I genuinely think the authenticity of it is what had the biggest impact because people yeah. knew it was coming from from, from those individuals. Um, I think the second piece of advice from me is understand your coping mechanisms. Mm. Um, you know, for me, it is exercise. So. I've not had much exercise over the last six weeks. I'm <laughs> changing nappies and feeding and so on. But you know what? I've, I've not made time to play football or go for a run. And actually, I've felt over the last You've week or so, mm. I've felt that as being like something that actually I've, I've, I really feel like I need to do. And I've, mm. it's, it's started to, I think, impact me by not doing it. Mm. So I think it's understanding what your coping strategies and, and mechanisms mm. are. Um, and thirdly, I think it's look, just be human. Um, oh, we'd love that word. We all go through these mm. sort of emotions, whether it's at work, whether it's at home. There's lots of stuff going on in lots of people's lives. Um, and do you know what? It takes it takes 60 seconds, doesn't it, to say, hey, how you doing? Yeah. Do you want to catch up? Fancy a cup of tea? It doesn't take long to do. And just for that one person who you catch at the, t- at the right time, he says, actually, yeah, I wouldn't mind to catch up. That could, you know, really could make it all And it transcends all levels, you know, from the... From the cleaner to the receptionist to the, you know, through to the vet, internal comms manager to the chief exec, you know, we're all human at the end of the day, aren't we? Absolutely. Brilliant. Sounds like a pretty good note to end on. Thank you very much. So there you have it, another episode of A Place to Thrive, and I loved that one, as you can probably tell, um, about my favourite topic, mental health in the workplace. And like I said on the podcast, I think that PDSA are a really exciting place. I think as well, the thing that really struck me was that all of the stuff that they did was really low cost. Yeah. And it's, I think, easily doable for any of our listeners out there with very little investment so i'd really encourage you to have a look at what pdsa are doing we're sharing some of that on our own social media channels and um see what inspires you and see what you can take away into your workplace and i love from kate's perspective although she was coming very much from a veterinary position or perspective that what advice she gave to our listeners at the very end was something that any one of us could take away which is obviously what a place to thrive is all about it's all about practical simple low cost things that you can do for yourself and your workplace to make them and yourselves healthier and happier at work loved it so please do tune in next week for another episode of a place to thrive please do leave us your feedback your comments leave us a rating um, and let us know how we can improve what we're doing we're already thinking about season two so, so we will... yeah we want your ideas ladies and gentlemen yes please please do <laughs> <laughs>